Yes, yes. It is true, we serve an awesome God. A, uh, I don't know, just a, sometimes I'm lost for words even as to all that, that he has done for me. And, and I know where he brought me from, and, and I'm going to maybe even talk a little bit that towards the end of the message this morning. But, you know, we, we talked last week about some things and about some Hebrew words, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. But what I want to start with this morning, first of all, I just want to pray and that God would be glorified this morning, and that, that he would have his way, and that my words would be his way. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We just give you thanks, and we just give you praise. We worship you, because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, we are so undeserving, undeserving in and of ourselves. But Father, through the blood of Jesus, we are made worthy. We are made righteous. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray this morning that everything that we talk about, everything that I talk about this morning would be from you, and it wouldn't be all my own thoughts and, and designs, Lord, but it would be your words, and Father, it would be your word through your, through your Bible, and Lord, we just want to love you, love on you this morning and praise you. We want to lift your name high, and we thank you for the time of worship. We thank you for meeting in that way with you this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, there's a misconception in a lot of churches, in a lot of people's mind even, and that is that worship is not music. That's what I want you guys to realize, that worship is not music. So many times we think of the worship service and we think, okay, man, they had a great band or, you know, they, hey, the singer was good or they did some really good harmonies or the band really played well. That's not what worship is. And I want to make sure that we don't get lost in that this morning because here's the thing. We have never had a time in this nation when there was more music than there is right now and less worship. There's music all over the place. I don't have mine with me, believe it or not. I don't have my cell phone. It's somewhere in the building. But so many of us, we walk around, we have a cell phone, or we have an iPad, whatever it may be. There's music everywhere. And I know, know whenever I go into different places, I see people that they're doing whatever they're doing. And I don't know if it's even playing games sometimes. Sometimes it's reading or studying. They have one earbud in one ear and the other one open. And they're listening to music. And they'll sit there, you know, you can sit there and talk to them and do whatever. And the thing is, that's multitasking. And the generation that's now, they do that very well. To me, if I'm trying to listen to something here and, and talk to someone through this here, I might get all confused, and I'm just not sure what to do with that. But what I want you to, re- to realize is that there's more music now than ever, but there's less worship than w- what there's been in a long time. Worship music is simply a tool. You know, we just went through a, a remodeling of a house, and we used all kinds of different tools. And, and my son, Stephen, he has got just tools galore. I just can't Im- imagine. But the thing is, those tools made our job much easier. It made things, we were able to do things, and it just kind of, you know, if we had something to saw, he had a certain saw for it. If we had to do a, uh, you know, take something out, he had the right tools to take those things out. I have tried to work on things myself in the past, building on things, and, and maybe tearing things out. And it took me forever because I didn't have the right tool. So I want you to realize this morning, music is a tool, and that's the right tool. It's one of the right tools that lead us into worship, lead us into the presence of, of, of our God. And that's what we want to do when we worship him. But worship is like, it's a, um, a song, it's like a hammer. Maybe that song, it, it's really spoke to you. And I know that sometimes the hymn that we did last, sometimes that'll speak a little bit better to the older generation, and it's a hymn. And sometimes it, maybe it's more like the second song that was kind of more of a contemporary song, and it speaks more to the, to the younger 
uh, crowd, but it's because we get used to using certain tools, just like we do in you know in the, our man-made abilities to do things and, and work. But in worship, it kind of is the same way. It's it's just a tool, um, and the thing is, it's a tool to build something, but it's not what you build on. We don't want to build on the worship. We don't want to build on the music. Um, the best core, the build on, the best core is this right here. When you talk about worship, it's the Bible. It's full of all kinds of scriptures, passages that teach us to worship. It's our road our roadmap. It's our, our game plan. I'm, I'm a big sports fan, and I've always called it my game plan because it's kind of taught me how to, to do things. And as I strategically try to plan out things, I try to make sure that he's my coach and that I follow what he's telling me to do. Sometimes I get off base. Sometimes I get off line, and I want to do my own thing. But that's what the Bible is there for, is to lead us. So last time I spoke about worship, um, I used nothing but Old Testament Hebrew words. Um, and so I want to review those. If, if you want to put those on the screen, I'll read from here. But they all, we talked about these last time. This uh, halal is to boast or to laud, to make much of or rave, to be clamorously foolish. Toda, to extend the hands in adoration and confession, sacrifice of praise, thanksgiving. Or barak, to kneel, to bow to give reverence to God as an act of adoration. Or Shabbat, and I've heard it a little bit this morning, shouting. It's to shout with a loud voice in praise of, hal- of halals, to be clamorously foolish, to do it loud, to, to, you know, to boast. And that's what that, that word is, zamar, to pluck the strings of an instrument. So it's a Hebrew word, and that's what we, a lot of us did this morning. They had guitars and bass guitar and stuff like that. Um, we, were, we were doing that, zamar. We were to plucking the strings of an instrument. Tehillah is to sing halals, a song of spontaneous worship. We've done a little bit of that, but we've not gotten to that point really yet, but we're, we're getting there. The other one is Yoda, lifting or throwing of the hands to revere or worship with extended hands. So we talked about all those words, and we kind of explained those a little bit last week. So what I want to do today is look at some Greek words uh, relating to worship for those of you that maybe don't feel like the Old Testament is relevant today and maybe not even really part of the Bible sometimes been to a lot of churches, and, and they really say, well, Mike, that, you know, the Old Testament was, was, you know, it was just under the law. We're no longer under the law. You know, we're under, we're under grace now, and we want to live just, you know, from the New Testament. Well, there's, there's something wrong with that, that thought and that perspective, but because of that, what I want to look at is just the New Testament this, uh, this morning. First of all, there are some words, and they're Greek words. The first one is doxa, and it's up on the screen. It's, these are the definitions. It's glory, dignity, honor, Praise, worship, and doxology. And one thing I'm going to tell you uh, real quickly, in the version that, that I've looked at in ESV, and of course all of them are going to be different. One, this is a New King James version up here this morning. Last week I had uh, ESV um, up here. But there are different n- amounts of, of those words that are actually in the Bible. Uh, and the way I've studied this time has been 133 times is the Greek word worship in the Bible. And so the word doxa is only used one time. Doxology is where we get that from. The next word is ethelaroskia. Try to say that two or three times. It took me a lot of, lot of listening before I could really figure out how to, to say it right. Ethelaroskia. It's voluntary, arbitrary, and unwarranted piety, sanctimony, will to worship. That's also used one time. The next one is anopian. In the face of, before, in the presence, or in sight of. That was also used one time. Eusebio. To be pious toward God, to worship, to respect, show piety, support towards parents. 
any of you teenagers out there. The next one, betrayal, to minister, render, religious homage, render religious homage, serve, to do service, a worshiper. That one is used three times in the New Testament. The next one, I want, I want you guys to maybe see if you can repeat this one, proskuneo. Can you say that? Proskuneo. Proskuneo. It is one of the words that's actually used more often in the New Testament than any other ones, and it means to kiss like a dog licking the master's hand, to fawn or crouch, to prostrate oneself in homage, to reverence, to adore, to worship. It's used 59 times in the New Testament. It's used more than any other, any other Greek word in the New Testament. And so what I'm getting from this, and as you, as you read the definition, I first read that and I thought, to kiss like a dog licking the master's hand, that doesn't, that doesn't even sound very appealing. But, but as the more I looked at that and, and kind of read into it, it's like, I don't know if anyone has a dog, and I know when I come home sometimes, and always, if I open the door, the first thing that I do is Oreo comes to the door, and, and she just wants to be part of me. Something, she doesn't lick a lot because we've kind of taught her not to. But a lot of other dogs I've been around, they do that. When you get there, they just want to lick on you. And what they're doing, they're just telling you, hey, I love you. I'm glad you're home. I'm, you know, I, I'm, man, I'm just, you know, and their tail's a wagon, and they're trying to lick you and do whatever there is. So that's kind of where that, I really believe that that, that definition is coming from because it's, it's trying to draw a closeness to that person. And that is drawing us as a closeness to our Lord, that every time we are in his presence, when we come into his sanctuary, we should run to him. We should just say, oh, I, I just love you. I want to be part of who you are. Just take me in. You know, I just, I just want to love on you, whatever it may be. And that is proskuneo. But it also, it talks a lot about bowing, to crouch. And so there's something about that in worship, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. The next word, sibomahi, to revere, adore, devout, religious worship. That one is used 10 times. Skirtaho, to jump, sympathetic, sympathetically move, leap for joy. That one is used three times. Then the last one is a Hebrew cousin to proskuneo. It is shakka. This term literally means to depress or prostrate oneself, bow down, do um, obeisance to reverence, fall down to crouch, humbly beseech, make or stoop. And if you look at that and then you look at proskuneo, they are almost identical, almost identical in meaning. And that word is used uh, 54 times. So out of the 133, there's 113 that are proskuneo or shakka, which actually talk about us bowing down before the Lord. And I'll never forget that I was, you know, was going to uh, Nashville Airport. We were getting ready. I think I was going on a, a mission trip. Um, I'm not sure if that's where I was going, but I remember being in there. And around Gate C19, there's this little shoe shine thing that's, that stood up there. And there's this guy that is shining shoes. And it just really kind of caught me off guard. He, he, all of a sudden, he got up, put his little mat out on the floor, and he got down on his knees, and he just kind of began to pray. To Mecca or whoever you know, he's praying to. It wasn't was not a Christian. So, but there's there's one thing I, w- I want you to, to see, and I don't know if you guys I'll illustrate. But if you're down here like this on your knees and you're praying, they they put their hands out here in front of them, and they put their nose all the way to the ground, all the way to the floor, and they pray. And the one thing that I realized as I see that. I believe it's the only position that you can ever be in where your head is lower than your heart. Because so many times our head tells us how to worship when God is wanting our heart to worship. And so I, I learned something 
from watching. That I need my head to, to just get out of the way, my mind, my thoughts, and to worship as God is telling me in my heart to worship. So comparing the two definitions, proskuneo and shakal, there's one thing that is for sure in all of these words, none of them, none of them mention music at all. It's an attitude of the heart. I want to look at just a few scriptures, and um, I'm going to go quickly. I have a, a main scripture here in a little bit. But Matthew 2.2, 2, we're going to look at proskuneo because it's, it's one of the ones that, that just kind of has more than anything. And so we're going to look at a couple passages. And Matthew 2.2, 2, um, it just kind of is talking about you know, the, the, the we three kings, you know, and the, the magi the, that, are, that were coming to, to worship the Lord. Now, after, I'm going to look at one, two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him, to proskuneo him. They've come to bow down before him. Now, our Bible, everywhere we read that, we just see the word worship. But when you go back and read the Greek text, it actually says they came and bowed down before him. And so we want to make sure that we are not trying to just say, well, the Bible just says worship. It really doesn't tell us what to do or how to do it, but it really does. You know, and as I study the three kings, and I can't go there too deeply because I've not really studied it enough, but last time I was kind of looking at this, and it talked about the three kings that came. And some people... Uh, to say that they were actually like astrologers and they were they were lofty people that that kind of you know followed the the stars and different things and that's why they saw the the star and let's pack our they talked about let's pack our camels and prepare to meet royalty because they saw this star and they were going to follow that we have come to proskuneo and bow down when you come before a king when you come before a king don't come empty-handed every week when we come into here we need to make sure that we come prepared to give. And I'm not talking so much about money and our offerings. Yes, we need to do that. But we need to come and, and offer who we are, our own being, what we're really about, you know, the, the, the heart part of who we are. Forget about what we're thinking about, but come in here and say, okay, God, I just want to give you my heart today. However you move, help me to respond. However you want me to, to, to go, you help me to respond. If you want me to come to the altar, help me to go there. Give me the boldness to be able to get up and go there. If maybe you just want me to sing or shout. Help me to do that. We want to make sure that whenever we come, we come prepared. They came almost nine months to give their gifts to the king. And the Pharisees were only 17 miles away than some of the other religious leaders of the day, and none of them showed up to see the king of kings born. Matthew 28, 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They were reluctant. They were just not really sure what to do. Or, or, you know, what to expect. So, you know, I know I've talked about raising hands, and I, I, I do that a lot. And some of you might think, well, you know, Mike, that's really pushing it for me just to raise my hands. You know, and, and I, you know, I don't mind doing that, you know, but, you know, do we have to go all nuts and, and talk about bowing down and, and shouting and jumping and, and doing all those things? No, we don't really have to do that. And I'm not asking anyone to, to be disorderly in and, and, and whatever way you may want to look at it. 
but I am asking us that we're willing to do whatever God has called us to do. Um, you know, we have our spirit and our soul and our body has got to get to the place that you bow it, that you bow it down before him. Before him, It all comes. And I want to explain that. Some of you might be saying this morning, you know, I don't really know what I'm going to be doing with my life. I just don't know. There's so many things in, in my future and, and, and different problems. I'm just not sure what direction to go. Bow it down. Maybe this morning you have, you know, some financial things in your, in, in your family, maybe in your, your own life, and you just have some problems. I'm not sure what to do. You know, I have these things coming up. Bills are there, and I'm not sure what to do. Bow it down. Maybe you're here this morning, and, you know, you're struggling this morning with your marriage. Maybe there's some things, man, I, I, you know, I know God wants me to be married, and it just doesn't seem like things are right. You know, things just so difficult sometimes. Bow it down before the Lord. Maybe it's your job. Maybe, you're, maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you're not happy in the job that you're at. Just ask God to help you and bow it down. Maybe it's an addiction. Who knows what it is? It can be pornography. It could be, you know, just doing any kind of, you know, different thing that's out there. There's all kinds of different things to be addicted to. Some of us are addicted to our cell phones. Every time that something's going on, we look at that. So it doesn't have to be this real big, you know, bad thing, but it's an addiction. And then there's alcohol and there's smoking. There's, you know, different things that we do. But all we have to do is bow it down to the Lord and tell him, God, I cannot take care of these things on my own. And I don't even want to do these things. But that person inside of me just keeps roaring out. And the devil just keeps tempting me. And I just keep falling into those situations. Bow it down to him and say, God, I cannot do this without you. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we need to bow it down. If you get it bent over far enough, then your heart will start talking instead of your head. You say, well, Mike, I've, I have thought some days and I just, you know, I, I want to do this, but it kind of, you know, like start thinking of all the, the things that are going to happen. Well, what's happening is your head is still, tar- is still talking and not your heart. We need to make sure that we bow it down. But God never said, I look for intellectuals to laud and magnify me on an intellectual level that's worthy of my superior excellence. He says, for the Lord seeketh worshipers who will kiss my hand as a dog lists the hand of the master. If you want to turn to John chapter 4. Look at verse 20. This is where the woman, woman at the well, and she says that, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that it, in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him God is spirit and those who are worship him must worship and in spirit and in truth all of those words are proskuneo every time so we talk about the, the woman, the Samaritan woman, and she's by the well, and, and she's just like us in a lot of ways. She's trying to 
to prove maybe her significance and just kind kind of ha- you know having conversation you know making small talk you know you want to drink you know and talks to her and says our fathers worshipped on this mountain twenty one all the worship all the worship words of proscaneo twenty two what is truth is this I've already stated that this is the truth and we need to make sure that we don't veer from that in any way a little bit more about bowing down and what I want to look at is some more scriptures and I'm just going out of the New Testament and not trying to look at anything in the Old Testament because we, we did a lot of that last week I want to look at Revelations several uh, just short uh, passages if you want to uh, you don't have to I think they're going to be up on the on the screen there but uh, Revelations 410 It says the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before him the throne saying it goes on and on how about 514 then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever you move on over to 711 says and the angel stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God there's a lot of falling down now I'm not talking about the involuntary and and coming and being prayed for and you fall down and and do all that stuff I'm talking about actually coming down and falling down before our king because everywhere you read in the Bible and it talks about you know the throne and holy 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 is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come there's so many references where they are falling down before the king. And I'm just telling you, whenever we get to that day, when we see Jesus face to face, when we're gathered around the throne, I don't think you're going to have the strength to stand. I think you're going to fall on your face. And it would be so great if we could actually maybe have already participated in that and practiced in our own time. Maybe not even in, per se, the church service or whatever. And I would be great to do that. I've been in churches that people have come and they've worshipped and during the music and whatever, they sit, they, they lay down, they face down, they worship. But just be prepared because at some point, you're going to have to do that. You can't say, well, I'll never bow. You will. One day you will bow to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to move forward just a little bit. Um, I had a couple other re- scriptures and revelations, but I'm going to, um, I will look at 22.8 real quick. Twenty-two, eight and 9. It says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Don't fall down to anything else. Don't worship anything else other than God, because he is the one that is deserving of our worship, of our praise. So you might say, Mike, do you want us all to come in next week and and just kind of, you know, come and fall down? No, I'm not saying I want you to do that at all first of all god has to call you to do that god has to call you to worship you can't and you can't just come in and and you know just kind of lay it before him because hey that's what the pastor said to do you need to do it because it's a, it's a heart attitude um god sees worship as a bowing process 
is a bowing process. It has nothing to do with me-itis. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about what God has for you. It has to do with, I know that I'm broken. And I'm that. I've been that person that has been so broken and so low. So let me bow down my broken self. And let me honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If we truly worship him in spirit and in truth, in our homes, in our cars, in our church, and we truly get to the prospect of laying oneself down before him, revival will invade us. It will take over. It will, it will, revival will happen not only in our churches, but in our homes. We'll, beginning, we'll begin to start doing things like maybe reading the Bible together as a family. Maybe we'll start studying scriptures. Maybe we'll not have the movie on the, the TV on that movie that has some language and it's maybe not just quite right to be there, but we go ahead and let it because it's just a word or two. Revival will take place in our churches and in our homes. Very few times in the scriptures does he say, I'm looking for anything. But he says about worshipers, I'm not looking for worship. I'm looking for those who will voluntarily bow down and talk about my goodness. Bowing is a posture of worship. Some may ask, well, Mike, I feel comfortable in worshiping the way that I worship. I kind of like what I do. And, but the thing is, you can't really worship in your own way because it's not biblical. I've given so many words last week and this week, and it kind of tell us, tells us what we're to do as we worship. And none of them does it ever say that we come in and we sit down and we put our hands to our side and we sing songs. They all have some kind of action. Maybe clapping, maybe praising. We talked about that last week. This week, we talking a lot about bowing down before our king. And oftentimes, what happens, it's that pride that gets in the way. And last week, I, I read from the Hallelujah Factor about pride. And I don't have that book with me up here. I'd, I'd read it again. But it just talks about how many of us, so many times, we let pride get in the way of what God is really calling us to do. Sometimes we really want to even do what God is calling us to do in our worship and in our praise. I've had other people would love tell me, I would love to come down and just pray, but I feel so uncomfortable. But what that is, that's Satan trying to tell you, no, don't go do that. God has won you to do that, but he's already said there's going to be a battle. There's, there's, there's a spiritual warfare that's going on all the time. I'll never forget, and I, I, maybe I've already said this here before, but I remember this one person was talking about, they were at this uh, service, church service, and there was an autistic kid in the back, and, and he, was, he was drawing what he saw. And through the whole service and whenever he was done the, the, the pastor went up and he wanted to see what the, the person was drawing and what he did is when he showed him the picture there was the church service and all above the people there were angels and, and, and demons and different things they were doing battle over the heads of all the people in the congregation because there was spiritual warfare going on and this was an autistic kid but it just really reminded me you know, that sometimes there's all those things out there that we never think of we need to be careful that we always pray and that we try to say, God, I want to do what you've called me to do. If you want me to pray, I'm going to go pray. If you want me to sing, I'm going to sing. If you want me to shout, I'm going to shout. Pride gets in the way. Last week we talked about halal, to boast, to laud, to be clamorously foolish. So the word halal is what? The first part of hallelujah. So whenever we say hallelujah, we're probably not going to come in and say hallelujah. It's probably, that's not really, it does not go along with the word. To boast, to laud, to be clamorously foolish, you really cannot do that in any way and be quiet about it. When we come before our King of Kings and Lord of Lords and something good has happened in, in our service or whatever, someone gets saved, it should be hallelujah. We're excited. What an awesome thing. 
I talked about yada last week, literally, physically, intensively, praising it by the lifting of the hands. Once we get more comfortable in lifting the hands, we may find that it's a form of a weapon. I know I had trouble lifting my hands for many, many years. I didn't want to do it. And then all of a sudden, one day, I had freedom, and I was able to lift my hands before the Lord. And I just felt like an overwhelming pressure was gone. And really, it is kind of a a battle weapon for me. When I feel down, when I feel out, when I feel depressed, yeah, I get that way sometimes. I don't let a lot of people ever see that, but every now and then that, that tries to creep in. And what I do is I raise my hands, and I just praise the Lord. And I just say, God, thank you for being king of kings. I'm a mess right now. Things are not going right for me at all. But, Lord, you're there. And I'm just praising you because these are my weapons, and I'm reaching to you, and I'm just asking you that you would just bind Satan, that you would give me your heart, and that I would live for you however you've called me to live. Some people say that our bodily posture doesn't really matter. Well, your bodily posture may mean nothing to you, but it means something to God. And you can turn there if you want to, but you don't have to because I'm just going to kind of explain it. But in Exodus 17.11, I'm sure that many of you remember this. And, and just even maybe just watching the movie, or maybe it's actually you've read it and you've studied it. But remember when Moses was on the mountain, and they're in the middle of the fight. They're in the middle of this battle. And Israel is winning against uh, Amalek as long as Moses' hands are lifted up. You remember that? As long as his hands were lifted up, Israel kept on winning. But sometimes it's hard to keep our, our battle going. Sometimes, you know, our, our hands get tired and they come down. Well, all of a sudden, what happened then? Amalek began to start winning. Well, Aaron and Hur, they had Moses sit on a rock so that they could reach his hands, and they held him up for him. And I don't think there's a better illustration, and this just kind of came to me this morning. I don't think there's a better illustration of unity than that right there. Maybe your brother, your friend, a sister, maybe it's one of your children, maybe it's a parent, whoever it may be, they're standing strong for you. Maybe they're standing strong for the Lord and everything is going right, but all of a sudden something starts to bog them down. That's when you're to be there to help them, to help them lift their hands, to help them to pray, help them to, to seek, you know, see God through this and, and, and to, to just help each other. That's just a great illustration of unity. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, being unified as a body, as we're looking for the man of God, whoever may that, that may be, that God will send this way as our pastor. But we have to have unity, and sometimes we're going to have to help each other hold each other's hands up. Sometimes we're going to have to help each other when we come down to this altar and we need prayed for. We're just struggling with some things. Say, hey, could you come down here and pray with me? Just do that. Maybe it's just picking up the phone, saying, hey, I'm really having a bad day. Could you help me out? The leader of the army was standing intensively, and that's why the Bible says to lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. That's Psalms 134, 2. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or wrath. You know, your weapon gets muted and confused when there's wrath on it. Our hands, if we want to call them weapons. That's why it's, it's so important to keep our lives clean, to keep our, our lives right, to keep right, you know, to live according to what God we think or what God is actually calling us, how he's calling us to live. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? It's him who has clean hands. Your weapons don't shoot if they're dirty. 
I don't know if there's any hunters in here, any police officers, whatever like that. There's a, a very meticulous thing, and it's cleaning your gun. Because if it gets dirty, it's not going to shoot properly. And I think I've heard of uh, instances when it's not clean, right? Sometimes they don't shoot at all. And so we want to make sure as we look at this as maybe weapons, and as we raise them, we have to keep our hands clean. We have to keep them under the blood. We have to make sure that we don't allow different things come into our lives that are going to help to, to keep that unclean. You and I make a choice every day to let our guns get dirty, to make our lives get dirty. We make a choice to, to make bad decisions because we don't bow it down. Well, I want to tell you something. I have two. And that's why I relate most with one person in the Bible. And that person is a prophet. He's a priest and a king, a great warrior. But he started out as a worship leader. That was King David. He worshiped when he was out with the sheep, just by himself playing music, singing worship songs. But David's life was filled with rejection. And I relate with that too, because I remember being a young child and how a lot of things, when, you know, just I, it seemed like I was rejected. Well, David was rejected in many ways too. Whenever they went to find who was going to be the king, they didn't even bring him into the house. They said, let him out in, in, the, in the fields. And so whenever it got to the point saying, well, is this, is this all that you have? Well, no, we have one other, but he's this little bitty short guy out in the out in the fields, and he's just a you know, he's just a shepherd. You don't want him to be a king. Well, go get him. And they brought him in, and they said, "This is the anointed. This is the one that has anointing upon him. This is the king." But David had a lot of failures. And many of you, I'm sure, remember those failures. The house that Solomon built was conceived in one of God's favorite people. And we can remember his failures. How about Bathsheba on the rooftop? He had this adulterous affair. And because of it, there was a child that was born. So there was a mistake and there was sin. And then all of a sudden he tries to cover up that mistake, as many people do. And he made another mistake because then he asked for the, the, the husband of the, of the wife to be killed. And so there's a lot of things that happen throughout that time frame where, where David just did it all wrong. He was a mess up. Everything was messing up in his life. And it was all fine until there was a prophet named Nathan. He says this. He said, there was a man who had a whole flock of sheep and there was another man who had only one. And the man with all the sheep came and took away the man's one little lamb. What should we do with that man, David? David said, we should kill him. Why would he do something like that? And take what he has. Who was this man? Nathan said, David, you are that man. What a blow that had to be. All of a sudden, all those things and those things were getting in the way. Well, I'm, you know, I'm okay to do this, and I didn't get caught in this. But all of a sudden, he realized everything before him was brought out in the open. You can't hide anything from God. 
Now, you would think that that would disqualify David. I know I would. What would you think right now, if anyone here on the search team, what would you think right now if that resume came in and wanted to be our pastor? I've had an adulterous affair. I had this guy killed, and I did these other things. We would never look at him. He would never be the man that we would choose to be our pastor. But here's what I like, God. When God looked at the temple on the day of dedication, he saw a man who had been told no by his God. God said, David, you can't build my house. No. I'm not going to let you do it. But David, one day he wrote Psalm 51. And I know many of you maybe can quote it. It created me a clean heart. The song that we sing about that very verse. Pay close attention to the words. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. In essence, Lord, if you need to take the kingdom from me, go ahead and take it. If you need me to be seen as a lowly beggar, let it be seen. If you need to strip me naked before my nations, before the nations, and let them laugh and mock at me and my great kingdom, then let it be. If I have to lose everything I have as a result of my sin, let it come. But God, please, please don't take your presence from me. David had desperation. He knew what he had done and the, and the, the essence of his sin and just the, the magnitude of what it was, but yet he knew the one thing that he did not want to lose was the presence of God. This morning, I know that many of us had faltered and we failed, and we need to maybe pray that prayer. You know, God, I'm sorry you know, for these things, but please don't take your presence from me. In the lowest point of his life, he is still crying out for God's presence. Saying, God, I'm a mess. I'm just a big mess up. Don't take your presence. When we sin, we often run and hide. Sometimes we quit coming to church for a while because, well, first of all, you're, you feel guilty. Sometimes we go ahead and come to church and we just want to go through the motions and we want to put on that mask that says everything's okay. When really, when we come through those church doors, we really want something to happen. We want transformation to take place, but we don't want to let anybody else know that because of, again, our pride. Sometimes it's just Satan that comes in and he tries to move and say, no, it's okay. That little thing I did, that, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Well, God thought it was a big deal. But I want, I want to just kind of give you a, a picture of how God responded to David's prayer. He said, this is what I would think God would say. I think when Jesus comes, David, we're going to call him 